Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotel's family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And not just the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Dowdy. And I'm Dublina Chakraborty. And longtime listeners know that sad royal childhoods are a frequent theme of ours. But the truth is, discussing the youth of a podcast subject is usually pretty interesting, whether they're royalty or not, whether it's Evlia Chalobi showing off to the Sultan, or uh, as we discussed recently, paleontologist Mary Anning getting struck by lightning as an infant, or even Hans Christian Andersen crashing dinner parties in his ill-fitting communion suit. I really think that taking a closer look at the early years often shows a different side of a subject, or sometimes even most intriguingly, a sign of what's to come, you know, some spark of genius in the early years. But it's rare that we devote an entire episode to those early pre-fame years, as we're going to do today with the talented Bronte family. And while we we will follow up with an episode on their remarkable breakthroughs and their successes, which we all probably know a little bit more about, there are a few good reasons for establishing a solid footing before we go there. I mean, the first one would be that most of the family didn't live much beyond childhood. That's kind of the sad reason why. Yes. The youngest Bronte child to die was only at 10, and the oldest was 38. So... 
not very long lives at all. Secondly, the Bronte children grew up under very strange circumstances. They grew up in extreme isolation coupled with endless intellectual stimulation. Yeah, there's a New Yorker article by Mary Hawthorne on their fantastic drawings and watercolors, something you might not be aware of, that the Brontes were actually, in some cases, really talented artists, too. But this article suggested that the peculiarities of their upbringing produced, quote, an extraordinary collective creative mania, which I think is a great way to think about what they were doing as kids. And there's one third reason that we want to go into their childhood a little bit first, and that's the Bronte mystique. It almost hinges on those earlier years. So how did one remote family produce three world-class writers and one brilliant wastrel brother? How did the isolated and experienced Bronte girls author books filled with so much passion and terror? And what was in the water at Haworth besides death and disease? Yeah, what made them all so brilliant? So the Brontes are such a staple of British literature classes that it probably surprises some people to learn their origins origins were in Northern Ireland and that their family name wasn't even Bronte. Their father, who's Patrick, was born in 1777 on St. Patrick's Day in Northern Ireland. And he was the son of Hugh Brunty, who is a ditchmender. And despite the poor beginnings, Patrick was the eldest of 10 really, you know, in a really poor family. Uh, they were very story-oriented. Hugh Bronte was known in his area as being an incredible storyteller. Young Patrick grew up reading as much as he possibly could. He even memorized Paradise Lost as a kid. And that intellectual spark caught the attention of a local Presbyterian minister. And from there, Patrick made one good connection after another with wealthy members of the Methodist movement and ultimately earned himself a spot at Cambridge. And I read a really great biography on Charlotte Bronte by Rebecca Frazier. And she said that this jump from being the ditch mender's son to attending Cambridge was really an almost unimaginable leap. Again, it did remind me a little bit of Hans Christian Andersen, actually, who we just talked about. In 1806, Patrick, who had changed his name to Bronte at school, decided to take orders as a clergyman. In 1812, he met Mariah Branwell, who was from a well-off Cornish merchant family with rumors of pirate ancestry. She lived in Penzance, after all. And Mariah was in a pretty great place for an unmarried 30-year-old in the 19th century. She had some money, she had some independence, and she was much loved and valued by her family. But only months after meeting Patrick, Mariah packed it in, married him, and moved north and started having just baby after baby. They had six kids in six years, Mariah, Elizabeth, Charlotte, Patrick Branwell, Emily, and Anne. So most of the younger Bronte children were born in Thornton, West Yorkshire, where the Brontes could socialize. It was near enough to a town that they could go visit with friends. They had a they had a busy life there. And that was especially important considering Mr. and Mrs. Bronte were already pretty isolated from their extended families in Ireland and Cornwall. But, of course, Bronte buffs know that the kids didn't grow up in this busy, sociable town of Thornton. Heathcliff roams moors, after all, not some cute little village. So not long after Anne's birth in 1820, Mr. Bronte accepted a position as the uh, curate of Haworth. And it wasn't really 
too far off from Thornton, but the hills and the moors surrounding it made the place inaccessible, plus cold and windy and boggy. And today we know that Howarth was also very, very unhealthy. Uh, And I can actually remember this from my 11th grade literature class, my teacher drawing a picture of the Bronte house and um, the water supply and where it came from. And it it just Wow, that is very involved. (laughs) Definitely. But it's something that unhealthiness of the town was something that Mr. Bronte noticed right away and tried to fix in his role as parson. I mean, just to give you a few examples of of how unhealthy this place really was, because you might be thinking, you know, a small village, how bad could it be? But the Babbage report on sanitation from about 30 years after the Brontes' arrival compared Howard's death rate to that of Whitechapel, London, of course, one of the... um, worst, most packed with people slums in London. The average life expectancy was only 25 years. The problems that this place had were that there weren't enough privies, no sewers, water was rarely clean, and there were too many dead filling up the poorly drained churchyard. And guess where the family lived? right by the churchyard with a view of the cemetery on two sides. Since the local families were mostly quite poor, they were laborers and factory workers, there were only a few other, quote, you know, respectable people that the Brontes could socialize with, so they stuck to themselves mainly. There was a class thing here. The Brontes were poor also, but they were middle class because of Mr. Bronte's position. The girls grew up learning to do things like put up linen, but they had servants to do the cleaning and the cooking. Yeah, I read one description of them learning light housekeeping, whatever that means. <laughs> I guess it means. I just imagine people walking around with a feather duster yeah, when dusting. I hear that. I don't know, like making lace or something. But still, you know, you're probably wondering at this point, why would you take this position if this town was so unhealthy? But the job meant a major raise for Mr. Bronte, plus a house for his family of eight and a job for life, which is a pretty serious thing. But the tragedy started not too long after they moved. Only nine months later, Mrs. Bronte, who hadn't really ever recovered after Anne's birth, started to get very sick. And Mr. Bronte nursed her himself for seven months while she slowly died of what at the time people thought was stomach cancer, but now what historians believe was blood poisoning. Um, Mariah, the oldest daughter, you know, still just a little kid, took care of her younger sisters and her brother until all six of them also got sick. They came down with scarlet fever. And at that point, Mr. Bronte was just at his breaking point and wrote to his sister-in-law, Elizabeth Branwell, to come up to Yorkshire and please help the family. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. 
And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com where travels come true. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. The big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melanin, Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. So she attended her sister's death and stayed to care for the kids, but she really wanted to go home to warmer Cornwall. Mr. Bronte, meanwhile, tried to find a new wife to help educate his kids and also to steady his temper and allow his sister-in-law to go home, but he found no takers. I mean, he just wasn't in that attractive a position at the time. He had six kids and a really low salary, so it just didn't help his cause. Yeah, no takers. So... With six kids, though, and five of them girls, how was he supposed to educate them on a poor parson's income? And the kids were, of course, precocious. They're little Brontes. They'd read newspapers and talk politics. They'd argue about who they thought was best, the Duke of Wellington or Napoleon or Hannibal or Caesar. But they didn't have a formal education, which was especially important for girls who might need to actually go work later in life, you know, become teachers, become governesses. 
So it seemed like kind of a hopeless situation, but then a miracle seemed to happen. In 1824, a new school for the Daughters of the Poor Evangelical Clergy opened at Cowan Bridge, only about 50 miles from Haworth. For only 14 pounds a year, a girl could study history, geography, globes, grammar, writing, arithmetic, needlework, and fine housekeeping. And you could even choose a vocation of sorts. You could choose to learn to be a wife, a governess, or your own housekeeper. And for added cachet, the school's director was a wealthy clergyman named Caris Wilson, which was a really big name to someone like Mr. Bronte. Okay, though, if you've read Jane Eyre, you know where this story is going. The school was cold. It was damp. The building was overcrowded. Too many girls in two cramped rooms with too few privies and poor food. And another problem was that Wilson thought deprivation was a really good thing. He believed little children were particularly sinful. So he probably wasn't the best person to be running a school full of little children in an unhealthy spot. But by November 1824, the four eldest Bronte girls were at Cowan Bridge. And Mariah went home first in February 1825. She was dead by May of tuberculosis. Elizabeth went home May 31st prompting Mr. Bronte to leave the very next day and rescue Charlotte and Emily. So, I mean, that gives you a pretty good picture of what kind of state Elizabeth must have been in for him to go rushing back. She died just two weeks later. And according to an article on Elizabeth Bronte um, by Jean Trippett, she's actually called the um, unknown Bronte because so little is really known about her. Mariah also died young, but she was sort of the inspiration for Helen Burns and, you know, really idolized by her family. But Elizabeth's more of a blank slate. So anyway, this article by Jean Trippett in the journal Bronte Studies, Elizabeth supposedly also met with some unknown, quote, alarming accident while she was at school, her head being, quote, severely cut, according to the school's headmistress. So it seems like there were, you know, potentially more serious things going on. Not that the accident was necessarily something um, somebody had caused her harm, but just that it wasn't covered in any more detail than that. Yeah, it sounds sketchy. You know, it makes you feel like maybe Cowan Bridge was Lowood from Jane Eyre. Caris Wilson could have been the evil Mr. Brocklehurst. And, I mean, we'll talk more about Charlotte's legacy in the next episode, but since she was the only sister to become really famous during her lifetime, a lot of people took an interest in that connection. Charlotte herself said that Lowood was true. The Wilson camp claimed that Charlotte couldn't be relied on for having been a child at the time. So she wouldn't have remembered things as they really were. Exactly. According to Fraser, their biggest piece of evidence came from a letter signed A.H., which was believed to be the former headmistress and inspiration for the kind Miss Temple in Charlotte's book. She claimed everything had been rosy. In 1975, though, someone finally bothered to do the math and realized that the real Miss Temple had actually been dead when she wrote the vindicating letter. And the letter's author was probably actually the inspiration for the evil Mrs. Scatcherd. Which doesn't sound so good for Cowan Bridge all of a sudden. But with the death of Mariah and Elizabeth in such a short span of time, and of course also so soon after the death of their mother, uh, the kids were 
really devastated. And remember, their house looks out on a cemetery, too, so there was really no escaping this feeling of death. A later guest remembered that Howard's high mortality rate was really obvious to anybody who was stopping through because the church bell would constantly toll for the dead, and then the tombstone chiseler would always be at work, you know, chipping away at the granite blocks, which sounds really horrifying in this context of a family who's just lost so many people in such a short span of time. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode, hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melody. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. 
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary Evolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So Miss Branwell became the household educator for the girls, while Mr. Bronte would have given extra Greek and Latin lessons to Branwell. They also had an inexhaustible supply of reading materials, day-old newspapers, magazines, borrowed books, Methodist tracts, and literature, of course. Charlotte and Branwell read almost all of Byron at age 13 and 12. The only thing that Patrick Bronte seemed to censor was Miss Branwell's ladies' magazine. Because he thought it had silly little stories in it. He didn't want his kids to read. Um, so it's probably no surprise that with the kids reading so much romantic literature and then geography too and current events that they made up their own world eventually, you know, as a way to kind of get away from all that was going on in their real life and filled it with Byronic heroes and their most famous creation, the Empire of Angria with its capital of Glasstown, started when Mr. Bronte brought home a set of wooden soldiers from Branwell and Charlotte later described it in a way that sounds so genuine. You know, you can imagine kids just picking up toys and starting this imaginary world, but she wrote, Branwell came to our door with a box of soldiers. Emily and I jumped out of bed and I snapped one up and exclaimed, This is the Duke of Wellington. This shall be the Duke. Emily's became Gravy and Anne's Waiting Boy and Branwell's Bonaparte. So with all their soldiers named, I think the names went through a few variations in some cases, <laughs> uh, the soldiers became what they called the young men, and um, they lived in Glastown. The kids became these all-powerful genies. And then the Glastown saga morphed into something that wasn't just like playing with the soldiers on rainy days and making up stories. It really became a world for them. Yeah, Branwell even created a language and history and maps for this world. By January 1829, they started to produce miniature Glastown magazines with science articles, poems, and jokes. Actually, all the Glastown writings were done on a miniature scale. So the first magazine was two and a quarter inch by one and a quarter inch done on scraps of sugar paper or wallpaper. In Angria and the Angrians, Branwell crammed 2,500 words onto a five by seven inch page, and they called it Scribble Mania. Which I think is my new band name. And I, I, you know, they had a reason though, behind all of this tiny writing, which they also did to sort of imitate print almost. It was a way to keep the adults out of their business, you know, because it was so impossible to read, probably especially if you were a 19th century person with bad eyesight. So Emily and Anne participated in the world of Angria, but they also created their own world called Gondol. And we don't know quite as much about Gondol 
as we do about Glasstown, because Charlotte destroyed much of her sister's early writings after their deaths. But there is one pretty intriguing fact, especially if you've read any of those younger Bronte's works. Gondol was ruled by women, uh, which certainly set it apart from from the world of Angria, which had these really strong male protagonists. But all the kids continued writing poems and plays and romances about their worlds and these characters well into adulthood. And Charlotte would, at various times, try to ditch her imaginary world as she'd get older, but she'd come back. You know, sometimes Deblina and I were discussing before the podcast, actually, that while so charming in their youth, it does start to take on a disturbing tone when they are still so obsessed with it as they get older. But her indirect interest in it ultimately ended up coming out partly in some of her more famous work. Charlotte's alter ego, Zamorna, is very much like her later antihero, Mr. Rochester. So, I mean, there you go. But, of course, they couldn't play at home forever. In 1830, Mr. Bronte got sick and nearly died. When he recovered, he realized his kids had no safety net. So he decided to keep Branwell at home, but he sent Charlotte to school again to learn to be a governess, this time at Mrs. Wooler's school at Rowhead, 20 miles from Haworth. It was different from Cowan Bridge, and it wasn't a charity school. Other students there were rich manufacturing daughters. And Charlotte stood out with her Irish accent and her funny clothes. To make things worse, she was placed at the bottom of the class since her entire education had been so haphazard. And she couldn't play because she was so nearsighted. So she was really left she out of the whole thing. She would read and write instead of, you know, joining in with ball games. Eventually, though, according to the BBC documentary In Search of the Brontes, she made friends through storytelling, which was really her strength, as we know. She would rehash the ghost tales that she learned from the Brontes' much-loved cook, Tabby. And two of her rowhead friends, Ellen Nissie and Mary Taylor, became lifelong correspondents of her. So she did manage to make those bonds. Yeah, and as a side note, too, the correspondence with Ellen really is the source of a lot of biographical information about not just Charlotte, but the Bronte family as a whole. Mary Taylor burned her correspondence, so we don't know what all we're missing there. So Charlotte also worked her way to the top of the class, and after two years, she came home. This is maybe one of the happier times in the Brontes' lives. All the kids were back at the parsonage. Charlotte's friend Ellen, who visited in 1833, wrote that, quote, they were beginning to feel conscious of their powers. They were rich in each other's companionship. Their health was good. Their spirits were good. There was often joyousness and mirth. The perfection of unrestrained talk and intelligence brightened the close of the days, which were passing all too swiftly. So we can kind of get a picture, too, of the Brontes during this period. They would take long walks over the moors, and in the evening, the four girls, or if Ellen was visiting, would stroll around the sitting room arm in arm. There were a lot of pets in the house. Later on, they had geese named Victoria and Adelaide, which I just love. Um, Branwell also still seemed like the great hope of the family, and that's something that's always interesting. When you learn about the Brontes, these three very famous sisters... Yet the family expected the son to be the great one. But at this point, you know, it seemed likely he was charming. He was smart. He was good at everything he did. He had a well-respected art teacher at this point. And while his most famous work of his sisters is unfortunately pretty crude, not the best representation that you'd want as your legacy, he was considered an accomplished draftsman. So maybe he was a little better at drawing than at oil painting. 
So Charlotte turned down a few governessing jobs to stay at home, but in 1835, she eventually got an offer that she couldn't refuse. It was a teaching position at Rowhead with free education offered for one sister. But going back to Rowhead turned out to be a really serious mistake. Emily could barely make it three months before she had to go home. She couldn't stand being away from home, the moors, her imaginary life. So 15-year-old Anne came up instead. Charlotte was also seriously depressed and was going through kind of a religious crisis. In August 1836, she wrote, quote, The thought came over me, am I to spend all the best part of my life in this wretched bondage, forcibly suppressing my rage at the idleness, the apathy, and the hyperbolical and most asinine stupidity of those fat-headed oaths on a compulsion assuming an air of kindness, patience, and assiduity? And to make matters worse, Branwell, partly the reason why the girls were working in the first place, was failing miserably. Yeah, they had, of course, taken jobs to help their father out, you know, help him support Branwell. And in the fall of 1835, Branwell had gone to London to apply to the Royal Academy of the Arts. You know, this was going to be his big start. He either never made it to London and was robbed on the way. Or he got to London but didn't end up applying to school. Or he applied but was turned down. It's unclear of what exactly happened. But Branwell later tried to still make his living as an artist, specifically as a portrait painter. But he couldn't really compete with the better artists and the new daguerreotypes. And he became addicted to opium eventually, which was on top of a developing drinking problem. And it wasn't long before he had to start making his living as a tutor, which, you know, sounds like a good job for a lot of people, but it was not something that Branwell was suited for at all. When he was eventually fired from his first position, his employers complained that their sons had basically done nothing more than make sketches and think up stories to go with their tutor's drawings, which, I don't know, sounds kind of fun for them, but probably (laughs) their parents weren't too happy they were spending money on that. And there was a rumor, too, right? There was also a rumor that Branwell might have had an illegitimate child who died uh, with a servant. Um, So, you know, just kind of sketchy things starting to pick up around his name and that charm, that intense energy he had was starting to seem more manic, a little more disturbing. After two years at school, Anne got sick and had to go home. Charlotte, who was depressed to the point of illness, also followed in 1838. And over the next few years, the Bronte girls all took teaching jobs, even painfully shy Emily, who distinguished herself at Law Hill by telling her students that she preferred the school dog to them. <laughs> that wouldn't win you many most popular teacher points, Not would it? at all. Anne's bad experience with the Ingham family influenced her later novel, Agnes Grey, while Charlotte's experience with the Sidgwick family provided inspiration for Jane Eyre. And one of Charlotte's charges even threw a Bible at her head and was very likely the model for John Reed, Jane Eyre's cruel cousin. Yeah, so Charlotte wasn't enjoying governessing, to say the least, but she also wasn't willing to trade it in for a hasty marriage. She turned down two proposals in just six months, the first of which came from Ellen's brother who was a Calvinist preacher who really just needed a wife for his big move to Sussex. You know, it was proper that he was married. Uh, Reminds you a little bit of St. John Rivers, I think. Mm -hmm. The second proposal came from a clergyman who was just out of Dublin University. They met in a large group. Charlotte mistook his name as Price instead of Bryce. And really, the next thing you know, she was getting a letter of proposal from him. And that wasn't her style. So it seemed like all the brilliant Bronte 
Dantes were just stuck in a rut, you know, that they were going to have to, the girls were going to have to just tutor forever or be governesses rather, um, something that they did not care for. Branwell was now working as a railway booking clerk and not taking that work very seriously. He was doodling in the ledgers. And so out of all this kind of, um, I don't know, stall, dead-end sort of life, it seems, a new idea emerged. Miss Branwell proposed offering up some of her savings. She had been squirreling away money over the year from her father's inheritance to her. Um, even though she was paying Mr. Bronte rent the whole time, she insisted on it. Um, she, she had managed to save a bit, though, and so she offered a pretty good sum for the three girls to open their own school, You know, which would be a lot different than being a governess, where you're not really a servant, but you're not really a member of the family either. So consequently, you're just completely isolated. If you had your own school, you'd be able to do your own thing. So Charlotte really liked this idea. Emily and Anne were into it too. But Charlotte cooked up an additional perk. She thought that for their school to succeed, the Bronte girls would really need to distinguish themselves in some way, have something that made them different. So she proposed that she and Emily would go off to Brussels for a few months. Mary Taylor was studying there, and so she had a connection. They'd hone their French and their Italian. Maybe they'd pick up some German. Um, You know, pick up these accomplishments that would make their school one that people in the area would actually want to attend. And Aunt Branwell and Mr. Bronte were game, you know, a little skeptical, but they they were fine with it. It sounded like an okay idea. So the Brontes started looking for a school, and with their connections in Brussels, you know, they had somebody on the on the other side of the channel who could do the legwork for them, and they ultimately found a school that was high quality but pretty inexpensive, you know, within their budget. And in January 1842, they settled on the Pensionnat Eger. So that's where we're going to leave off for this episode. I can say at this point, you know, the, the Brontes are all grown up. We have exited the growing up Bronte phase, and next time we're going to be talking about their time in Belgium, their education, and then the three breakout novels, of course, that are published in just one year. And then, as we know, all of the family tragedy that starts um, piling up toward the to the end of the Bronte saga. Plus, we're going to talk a little bit about the reputation of the Brontes, which is something that I'm very interested in discussing in more detail. Yeah, it's interesting how that uh, reputation evolves and um, the part that some of the Brontes themselves play in that. Exactly. Today we just think of them as great novelists, but during the Victorian period, they were also scandalous women. So I think that's a good time for us to move on to listener mail and maybe discuss another recent literature-related podcast we covered. So we have two emails here that we want to read about our Elizabeth Barrett Browning slash Robert Browning podcast. We talked about their relationship and how that developed and blossomed over the years. We have one here from Annalisa. She says, I just finished listening to the Elizabeth Barrett Browning and Robert Browning podcast, and I love it, but I can't believe you guys didn't talk more about Flush, Elizabeth's dog. If you aren't aware of Virginia Woolf's remarkable little book, Flush, a biography, I highly recommend it as both an imaginative look at the world through the dog's eyes and a unique perspective on Elizabeth and Robert's romance and marriage. Incidentally, I would also love it if you did a podcast on Wolf someday. So she throws a little suggestion in there. <laughs> but yeah, we did. We mentioned that Elizabeth's dog was one of the few possessions that she took with her when yeah. they absconded Ran away. to Italy. Yes. 
Uh, but we didn't go, we didn't have time to really explore flush. Well, now, too, I, I feel like I should stave off any other listener emails by noting, getting it out there, that Emily Bronte is really a famous dog lover, too. She had a <laughs> mastiff no. and would do these pretty watercolors of it. So that's officially on the record now. <laughs> we also got a letter about uh, Elizabeth Barrett and Robert Browning from Tasha, who is studying English and American literature in England, and she said she was researching Browning's My Last Duchess, which you mentioned in your podcast about Browning and Elizabeth Barrett. Apparently, the Duchess in the poem is based on one of the Medici family. Like Queen Victoria, they just get everywhere. Lucrezia de Cosimo de Medici was the daughter of Cosimo I de Medici and the sister of Francesco I de Medici, who was the unfortunate, quote, father in the Medici Murders in a Basket Baby podcast. Aged 14, she married Alonso II d'Este, the fifth Duke of Ferrara, who went on to abandon her for two years before she died aged just 17 of suspected poisoning. That was the way a lot of people went back then. Ferrara went on to marry Barbara of Austria, daughter of the Holy Roman Emperor Ferdinand I. I thought this was an interesting link between the two subjects that you guys might appreciate. I always like a Medici connection. So thank you, Tasha, for sharing that. And I like My Last Duchess, too. We talked about that mm-hmm. a bit in that episode, didn't we? Um, so thank you, guys. It's always neat to have some more literary insight or dog insight on these <laughs> subjects. And I guess kind of while we're talking about the, um, I don't know, insight and sources, it was cool to research the Brontes because there is so much information on them, which is honestly not something that usually happens <laughs> for most of our podcast subjects. Usually we have to dig and dig and dig, so it is kind of nice once in a while when you have those topics where it's just all kind of laid out for you. Well, it's strange too, though, because there is so much information on them that you get biographies that are countering other mm-hmm. biographies. I mean, I've mentioned the Rebecca Fraser biography, which I really like, but the kind of Well, it is the original Charlotte Bronte biography is the Mrs. Gaskell one, and that's full of spin in addition to um, actual biographical information, something, again, we'll talk about in the second episode. There's even a whole scholarly journal devoted to the Brontes. (laughs) I was really kind of overwhelmed in this episode in a good way. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That makes it harder in a way because you have to kind of find the commonalities and figure out what's sort of theory and what's real. Yeah, vastly conflicting opinions about these women in their lives. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's cool to talk about, and we'd definitely like to know your opinions. We are at historypodcast at discovery.com, and we're also on Twitter at Missed in History, and we are on Facebook. And if you'd like to find out a little bit more about some of the topics we discussed on this podcast, you can find them by visiting our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House to Work's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping? Then give your business the edge it needs with USPS Ground Advantage Shipping from the United States Postal Service. Keep everything simple with clear upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. It's time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable.